1: The following episode of NordPod contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join. We're the voice of red disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. NordPod, NordPod, NordPod. My name is Matthew Zachary. And welcome to NordPod, right here on the Script Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started, that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hello friends, welcome back and welcome all new subscribers to Nordpod, the voice of rare disease. Joining me today on the show is Lewis Freeze, an incredible young man fresh off the heels of being diagnosed with a rare disease. During the pandemic, no less. Not that there's ever really a good time for this to happen, but come on. The condition is called IGA vasculitis and typically affects two in 100,000 kids every year. So as a a college student, this kind of threw everyone for a loop. And now he has to spend the rest of his life managing chronic kidney disease, among other fabulous things. He is a genuinely authentic voice for our next generation, He advocates not just for rare disease awareness, but for inclusivity, speaking out as a highly vocal member of the LGBTQ community. With all that said, we've got a ton of stuff in common and bonded in real time over the very meaning of the word advocacy, never accepting the status quo and living life to help others. Enjoy the show. Lewis, my God, thank you. Welcome to NordPod. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited as well. So you are the first model on NordPod. Congratulations. Oh, exciting. Thanks. I mean, maybe previous guests consider themselves model, but I didn't put that in their byline. So good for you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so like, here's my question. When are you a model? When do you become a model? How does that work? Is it is it like Zoolander? you just a model one day? Like, when did you figure out that this is something that you were good at and that you wanted to pursue?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's something I'm good at. I think everyone's good at it. I just think it's who can find the right path to make it some sort of career. Um, I've always wanted to do it, but I have had trouble in the past like finding the right agency. There's like so many little things that you have to kind of get in order to really like start doing it. I wouldn't even consider it my main career right now either. But I think, like, any, well, I think anybody can call themselves the model. I just think it depends on whether or not you want to have that title around your name. Um, but I think for me, I really considered it when I was signed with my agency, which is about a year ago.
1: Well, congratulations. How many years were you, you aspiring for that? It must be a interesting hill to climb.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for anybody that's in the industry, like I think everyone has their own story, but I think for the majority of people, they'll say it takes a lot of research. And I think it takes a lot of time to find just the right fit. I grew up in Minneapolis and the Minneapolis industry, the Minneapolis like scene just wasn't for me. And it took me a long time to realize that. And it took me even longer time to put that put to put modeling on hold and just to wait for the right time, which happens to be last year during COVID, probably the worst time possible. Right. Where I found my agency in New York. So I think it really depends on like what type of model you want to be, who you want to be with, who wants to be with you. It's just all about finding the right fit.
1: So I can't help but notice as a New Yorker that your Minnesota isn't really Minnesotaing very well on the show. Can you fake it?
0: Um I'm actually not born in Minnesota. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio and I moved to Minnesota and so I think growing up in a household with parents who have really have moved all over it wasn't anything that I like grew up around. Obviously a lot of my friends and people I grew up with have the Minnesota accent, but I think it didn't really rub off on me too much.
1: So the Ohio will always be there.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. Nice. And there's really not an accent in Ohio. I feel like it's very just like vanilla, which I think is good.
1: Yeah, I have all my Cleveland stories we could probably share in person one day. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well, again, like you're here because for many, many reasons, and the least of which, of course, this is your Rare Disease Show, and as many of our guests have, I am riddled with rare diseases, and you have two. And mm-hmm. not like it's a contest. I got nine rare diseases. You ever yeah, get that? Right, like, you're, right. But you only have two. Really, is it a contest? Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's talk about that because, you know, you're young mm-hmm. and that's, that's supposed to be a thing. And, you know, it's hard enough being mm-hmm. in your early 20s when you're well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been thrown for a loop. I think the hardest thing is having it all happen during COVID because everyone was kind of in the state of like unknown and shock and everyone was dealing with things on their own. I was obviously really lucky that my family and I were super safe with COVID and nothing really affected us in terms of like health. But um, I was obviously diagnosed with just all of this crazy stuff. And it's definitely been hard at my age and, you know, not really having a lot of people in my life that have similar stories. But I think that everyone has their shit and everyone has something that I think I'm re- I've am i really learned like, okay, this is just my thing. And I've learned how to deal with it. I've had the support I need. So, um, it definitely has sucked, but it's gotten to a point where I'm like totally okay with it.
1: All right. So, let's get into syllables and acronyms, right? So, IgA vasculitis, also known as lots of other words in German that I can't pronounce, that I'm sure you can, <laughs> and other, and chronic kidney disease, which is just words we understand. What's, what, what t- tell us all about this. What is this? I mean, yes, I was reading really quickly that like it's like two in a hundred thousand. So, congratulations on joining a club no one belongs right. to. but. Let's go, the lottery. Let, yeah, let's go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I have my, the, the, the disease that I have is called IJ vasculitis and nephropathy. Um, and then on top of that, it kind of spiraled into chronic kidney disease. So chronic kidney disease, and I'll probably just acronym it as CKD for the rest of the show, um, is basically like a impact and like a second type of disease that comes from this uh, initial disease. So IgA vasculitis is a rare blood disorder where my blood vessels in my body inflame. And sometimes it just depends on the person. It depends on, you know, so many different circumstances, but a lot of the times people will just have this disease for like three or four weeks and it'll go away and I'll never impact them again. For me, it obviously did not do that. Um, My blood vessels in my kidneys actually became inflamed, which then caused the chronic kidney disease, which is a chronic disease. And so my IgA vasculitis is chronic, where some people have like an acute version, again, where that's like three or four weeks. The disease itself is really only prevalent in children. So a lot of people actually call it HSP. It's like Hanoch-Prepara syndrome. And so that is most of the time it's like prevalent in children. And they'll, again, they'll have it for a few weeks. It will give them some symptoms and then it'll just go away. So um, I'm definitely one of the lucky few who get to deal with it the rest of my life. But um, again, I've learned to deal with that. And so I'm definitely in a better headspace than I was a year and a half ago.
1: Well, I was diagnosed with cancer in my 20s, but my cancer was pediatric. And the doctor's were like, you can't have this, you're in your 20s. Was was, was it similar? the like? Oh, yeah, yeah, same story, yeah. Uh, so like, this doesn't just show overnight. Like, how did this start to manifest where you're like, something's wrong with me? And I'm sure doctors are like, oh, you're fine. And then something's still wrong with me and the doctor, oh, you're still fine. What, what was the you're probably okay story. Go away and come back later.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was actually really lucky because most people with this disease don't have like physical symptoms, at least in the beginning. So this is a disease that like, if you can't catch it early, it really will impact you. So for instance, like my doctor had a story about a patient who had to get like some random who's 50 years old, who had some random blood work done for like a job they had and they basically came in, they're like, oh, your blood works a little bit off. Like you should see a doctor. They saw a doctor, they diagnosed them with IGA. And then the week later they had to remove the person's kidney because it was like, it had taken over their body and and it had probably been going on for 20 years. So I was really lucky to have my symptoms, but they were not fun. I started off with just rashes all over my legs that were like underneath the skin. So it was like you would run, run your finger across it and it wouldn't feel like anything. It almost looked like I mean, it literally was my blood vessels popping and it kind of looked like that. Like if you've ever gotten a bruise where you had like your blood vessels pop, like that's what it looked like. And so that was like the main kind of like tell all thing. But being like I was, you know, the pandemic was going on. I was with my family. We all kind of were just like, okay, let's hold off and see if this just goes away. It could be like an allergic reaction. And then I think it was like the end of May, I woke up one night with horrible pain in my stomach, like to the point of like passing out, like I was vomiting, it was horrible. And so I went into the hospital and I was actually suffering from something called intussusception, which is another side effect of the disease, which essentially your large intestine, like swallows your small intestine and causes like a reaction in your body. And so again, like it was a horrible month of dealing with all these like crazy symptoms. But at that point, my doctors were like, we know exactly what you have and like, we're going to start treating it because the symptoms for this disease, again, are like very specific.
1: Okay. So from that perspective, one might argue you got a little lucky, but again, this is also during a global pandemic, right? Yeah. Which made things I'm sure very complicated.
0: Yeah. It made things really difficult. I think it was really hard because nobody wanted to go into doctor's offices. Nobody wanted to go into hospitals, including myself. Um, And it also was really difficult to like get even just like appointments set up. So I actually had an initial appointment with my pediatric, I still see a pediatrician just because I'm like in that weird stage of being like, you know, on my parents insurance kind of transitioning into finding a doctor that's going to be like more long term for my adulthood. But I was actually really lucky to see my pediatrician because she was a lot more aware of this disease because she has seen it in children. So that's when all the blood work started and all the uralysis started, and just like the rabbit hole of being like, okay, we know what this
1: is. I wanna pick up on what you just said, which is like finding an adult doctor. Cause there's, a, again, I come from the cancer world. It's the same conversation in a sense where if you had cancer as a kid and you wind up like, fortunately, like surviving into your 20s, you probably are dealing with a whole lot of crap because you beat cancer as a kid. And most adult primary care doctors have no idea what to do with a 23-year-old that had leukemia at seven years old that has late effects. Yeah. You anticipate experiencing the same situation or is it possible that to find an adult doctor that is a little more woke to the fact that all this crazy shit happened to you as a a quote kid?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still like kind of trying to navigate that, especially because I'm about to graduate college. I'm not sure where I'm going to move because I probably won't end up staying in Minnesota. So I'm trying to figure out like, okay, it wouldn't make sense for me to find a doctor in Minnesota right now because it's going to be so short term. Cause I definitely want to find that leader of my medicine that like kind of knows all of my different things because I'm seeing a nephrologist, I'm seeing a pediatrician, I'm seeing different labs to get blood work done. And so I have all of these different like places I go and people I deal with, it would be really nice to have like that linebacker or the quarterback, I should say of like my entire medical like shit show that's going on. But I, Definitely think finding the right nephrologist is important. That's like a doctor for kidneys because the majority of my disease is in my kidneys. And so like, to me, as long as I have a solid person for that, which I do now, that's really the most important thing. And then being able to find like that adult practitioner that just understands the disease a little bit so they can kind of help me navigate all of my other things going on, like with this.
1: Right. And just to give you another scary future planning thing that with us, <laughs> this country's messed up, is when you get off your parents' insurance and you have an employer-based program, will they pay for your nephrologist, right? You have to worry about that now, too.
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be one of my main um, – that's a conversation I've had with my parents. I'm definitely going to have to have that as one of my main um, priorities when I'm looking for a job, for sure. So definitely a whole different way to navigate my employer status when I become – 26 years old or 25 years old right
1: all right another question in the parallel world of the cancer space going through rare disease and having life-threatening things and having to live with sort of a sense of mortality for the first time way before you're supposed to has that matured you as an individual and does that give you an elevated perspective on priorities and what's important in life
0: oh a thousand percent i think anytime you get die i mean for specifically people with diseases, like anytime you get diagnosed with anything that's like chronic or terminal, which I'm luckily not deemed the terminal patient right now. I think anytime that happens, your perspective about the world completely changes. You know, for me, I was diagnosed and we were in the middle of a pandemic. And so for like about a year, I was unable to see my friends. I was unable to see really anybody except for my immediate family living with me because I was taking all of these like immunosuppressant drugs. And so I think growing up in that sense of just like having to have your health prioritize everything. And now I think looking forward, like I said, I'm already planning, like I need to make sure I have the right employer. When I become 25, I need to make sure that a long-term partner or a long-term roommate or whoever understands this disease. So if I need anything, I can have a person there other than my mom. Like I think it's definitely made me plan for my future into adulthood a lot faster. Um, and really appreciate just, like, the ability to survive every single day, have the medical team that I have, have the medicine that I have, like, everything I think about is around my disease now, which really sucked at first, and I always tried going back to, like, trying to feel normal again, trying to feel back to pre-diagnosis, but I think moving forward, like, that's not possible, and I've just had to really, like, revisit all of my priorities and Obviously, my health is my main priority right
1: now. Clearly, yes. I mean, I look, I love my mom. She was amazing. She is amazing. I love you, mom. She listens to every show. But it was so nice to have a roommate that wasn't my mom once I was out of the house. So you're going to miss it and enjoy it at the same time. But that's a good perspective For sure. to totally have. Yeah. yeah. Another quick question. I was reading mm-hmm. <laughs> on the interwebs. It was saying that that IgG vasculitis is... It usually goes away on its own. Did, did they just make that up? Or does that just like, did you read that and say, God, not me? Really? Yeah, I mean, like, I think it, it's like a very high percentage,
0: 90% of all cases, like I said, go away in like three or four weeks. And so it's very much like a super short disease that like doesn't really do anything. I mean, it does something to your body, but like, it goes away, you don't have to think about it ever again. Um, and so of course, I thought, why me? And then on top of it, even if it doesn't go away, a lot of people don't ever have like organ side effects, which I was like, okay, again, why me? And then it's like, I think it was like 90% of people who have this disease. And my, per my doctor, my doctor told me that like 90% of people that have this disease are actually born in like the Eastern Asian culture, which is like so interesting to me how it's like, it's not a genetic disease at all, but it's just like where like geographically it is. And so all of these things just like makes me un. I shouldn't say uneligible, but like less likely to have it. And like, of course I have it. So, um, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. And I just don't try to think about it because I don't think I'll ever be able to get over the fact that it's like just so
1: random. Yeah. All right. So before we go to break, one more question. Now that you're an unwitting kidney expert, you know, what are, what are some of the things you have to do to live your life to avoid, I don't know, is there such a thing as a flare up or like, how do you, oh, for sure. what, what does management look like for you now?
0: Yeah. Well, so I'm currently going through chemotherapy, which has been helping like hopefully put myself into remission in the next like four months. It's about an eight month long treatment. I've had a couple of different test treatments that didn't work. So this is kind of like the end all last hope. But on top of that, my diet completely changed. When I got diagnosed, I went plant-based. I eat a low sodium diet. So I have to eat under like 1200 milligrams of sodium a day, which is nothing. Um, I have to eat a low protein diet I have to be really aware with, like, how much I'm drinking, and I just turned 21. And then on top of all of that, because of all of these treatments I'm doing, especially during a global pandemic, I have to be very careful about COVID because any slight infection or virus can affect my kidney directly. So there's a lot of little things that I have to make sure that I'm doing or not doing. Um, And again, that has completely changed the way I live. But now it's kind of just like the norm, and I'm totally okay with it.
1: All right. That's a lot. (laughs) Um, We're going to take a a quick break and we'll be uh, right back with Lewis. Back with our guest after the break. Okay, it's time to commit.
0: 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.
1: That's com slash Wondery. All right, we're back with Lewis. Uh, I just, I I love the fact that you're a twin. I have twins. We talked about this. And I have a question for your parents, right? Rhetorically (laughs) speaking. So I have a boy and a girl, fraternal twins, obviously for biology's sake. But how many times have you or your parents been asked, oh, you have twins? Are they identical? Except for the genitals, yes, my twins are identical.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, like, um, I haven't had that second part of that question too much, but we <laughs> are definitely asked all the time. My parents, at least, always ask before if we totally identical, especially when we were younger, because when we were younger, we actually look, we don't look alike, but we looked enough alike where I think you could have gotten off if we are identical. But, like, now my brother and I like you wouldn't even think we're in the same like lineage because we look so different who's um, older but technically me i was a minute older and because well, we were like a c-section but i was tech. i'm basically a minute older because i was like the first one out so
1: yeah so you're better my son holds it against mm-hmm. my daughter every day i'm 40 seconds older than you and i win that's every conversation
0: but yeah that's like, that's how it goes for sure So is your
1: condition congenital in any way? Is there, have there been like a risk portfolio on your sibling? So we actually
0: have talked about that. So my disease is not, it has nothing to do with being genetic. There's like no linkage to that. My disease is very detectable through just like plain blood work or uralysis, which like in a physical, a lot of times people will get And so my brother hasn't had any signs of it. He definitely still, and Owen, if you're hearing this, I always tell him he needs to just go get a full test of everything just to make sure. But, um, the disease itself, like, is there's no history of it being at all transmissible between family members. So, um, yeah, I don't think he has that. I hope he doesn't have that.
1: Well, it's good to know. I mean, it's like kind of oddly did him a favor. Oops. Yeah. You're welcome, bro. For that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want to spend the rest of the show talking about the word advocacy, and it's one of those words that is, I believe, user-defined these days. I didn't know that I could be one. I didn't know what that word meant, and when I when I was introduced to, I would say my first peer, we could talk about like peer-to-peer in the advocate world, he said to me, he, by the way, he also had cancer, he was also my age, he went to my university, I didn't know the guy. And he said, how would you like to be a cancer advocate? I said, what on earth is a cancer advocate? You know, <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like, I and mean, you've been in the, in the LGBTQ community for a significant portion of your, your life. Years, yeah. And clearly that makes you an advocate because it's kind of tough to, to, to be in that community in this country, this, this sad country. Yeah. But having this loft on top of that, did that further accelerate? Oh my God, I could be an even bigger advocate now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, especially now, more than anything, life is all about advocacy and just supporting other people. And I think everyone has their shit that they're going through. And in my own experience, it always makes it easier when you know other people are going through the same things as you. So I could have somebody next to me also have a rare disease, but those things could be two completely different ones. And so I think it's really difficult in this community to, like, navigate it with other people, because it's so difficult to find somebody with a specific like the same type of story as you people in the lgbtq community that i know we all have different stories but i think we've all like been able to navigate it around like similarly but with rare diseases it's not similar at all like everyone has a different story every person has a different disease different treatment and i think it's like again you have to remember that you're most likely going to be going through this like by yourself and I don't mean that in terms of not having support. I have so much support, but you're always going to be like going through this on your own. And you're the only person in your life that's going to know what it's like to deal with this. And so I think that was the one thing I struggled with the most, but no matter what, I like to be an advocate for people with rare diseases or just for young people. Like you said, you with cancer when you're young, just young people with diseases, because I think it's such a different like way to navigate life when you're 20 with a super intense, sickness or disease opposed to if you just didn't have one. And so I definitely always like to let people know like what's going on. I think it's really important for people to be aware. And then for that, you know, person in your life that's going through the same thing, it can be really helpful just to know that you have that person with you.
1: Yeah, there's only so much that common thread can play when you are living in such a unique space biologically with whatever you are having to deal with. And, you know, what we did is stupid cancer because we, 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 were, we were largely teenagers, 20s and 30 something, not really pediatric, not really adult. And the common threads were really all we had, because whether you had colon cancer, kidney cancer, lung cancer, breast cancer, whatever it was, you're still like trying to just be a 20, 30 something. And what are the threads dating and fertility, relationships, right. insurance, jobs, like where can we align on some of the similar factors? I wound up being able to define advocacy for me as trying to help the next version of me have a better time than I did.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I think like that's by far the best way to define what an advocate is, just paving the way to make it easier and
1: less bumpy of a road for the person following you. Exactly. Exactly. So leaning further into advocacy, I was reading that you are in a position to have a significantly elevated public profile in the not so distant future, which will give you such a larger voice and a larger audience to speak to. Have you come up with a, a version of like your, I would almost say like a stump speech on what it is people can do and learn and be. Because, you know, old folks like me, I'm 48 and I'm Gen Xer. We look to <laughs> you. We want the 20-somethings, the next generation. What can you do that we did our best to fight the boomers? You got to do your best to we whatever we're, we're missing yeah. up, Talk to me about your grand vision at your age for what needs to be done.
0: Growing in the modeling industry, I think, is so interesting because the further you get into it and the more, like, you meet people and you just learn about what it's like to be like a figure in the industry. Like there are so many different types of people. There are so many different types of platform. And I think just making sure that it's always authentic, it definitely has become a trend in the last like two years, three years, which I love to like be authentic, to be yourself, to never fall off of your own individuality. And for me, that's like my number one goal. I I'm so grateful for the platform that I have and for the growing platform that I'll have um, in the future. And I have the best agency ever. And so I just want to make sure that my like platform is just always positive. It's always authentic. I want to be a huge advocate. Like we talked about advocacy for the rare disease community, for the queer community, just making sure that I always have the best interest of people, my followers, my friends, my family in mind. Um, But yeah, I have no clue what it's going to be like. I am, Uh, starting so i mean covid was the worst time to sign with a modeling agency right it was so interesting because i was signed through instagram and like that was amazing and from the point i was signed i think it took me like six months to even get my first portfolio photo shoot and then it took me like another month to really become like just like well intertwined with my agency and then it's just it's been such a long process so i'm no clue what's going to happen in the future i am just excited about it i'm just keeping my head open my mind open to anything and we'll see what happens
1: so i see we have even one more thing in common if i'm again reading the the tea leaves right you're a full-time student and you are currently designing your own major yeah i am (laughs) you did the same i designed my i went to binghamton university in upstate new york and at the time in the 90s they had a program called innovative projects and it was they, they kind of tucked it away because supposedly you shouldn't need to make your own major because we're Binghamton we have everything for you and of course I couldn't find anything for myself right. <laughs> so I applied to this whole process and I basically invented a major for myself that they approved and I graduated with this hodgepodge interdisciplinary thing that combined a bunch of stuff. I love that you're on track for that. What are your interests? What are you studying?
0: Oh, my God, that's that sounds amazing. I, it, it kind of was the same thing. That, so I went to the Univers- University of Minnesota, and I had a similar experience. It wasn't, like, promoted, and I definitely had a few different avenues that I was, like, suggested to go down before this. But right when I heard about the program, it's basically the same thing as, like, an interdisciplinary field. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I'm studying gender, women, sexuality studies, business marketing, and retail merchandising. And even though it's my last year, I'm still deciding what I'm going to call it, but I want to go into like gender neutral business and fashion because I feel like there's a huge, I just think there's a large gap in business right now where we are subconsciously marketing and retailing specifically to men or women, but we're not really doing it with like a larger scope. And I think it's stupid when you walk into a store and you only have one or two sections to go in, like, I think everyone should just buy clothes in the same area because Surprisingly, a lot of stuff is very versatile, but just because it's marketed differently and it's marketed for one or the other, people automatically have closed minds to it.
1: Well, I don't think it's that unnatural to recognize that binary genders have been wearing each other's clothing for a very long time.
0: Right. I mean, if you look into it, like a lot of the majority of fashion companies, whether it's or large retailers even, will cross promote and cross market their items of clothing, but just not tell anybody like, or they'll have an item from the previous season, just like put into the other side of the aisle based on the, the other gender and people will buy it. Like it just, it, it's right now, it's all about marketing and retailing. And so a couple of years ago when I was kind of just frustrated with that and I was fed up with it, I just like, I'm just going to make my own major and do something about it. <laughs>
1: I commend you my friend that is really ambitious and very I don't overuse the word innovative but it's a very good way to kind of stick it to the system that I don't I don't like what you're offering me I I mean I'm just excited for parts of the future um, some parts I think we can live without <laughs> <laughs> sure. Unless some real trends start to change, but I'm really excited for the future—the future my children will be growing up into—that you and your generation are paying for them. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so too. Inclusivity impacting societal norms—like this—is stuff that like my parents would freak out about, but I'm kind of excited right. for, and I think it's a good problem to have if people are freaking out about it because change can be a really good thing. I, mm-hmm. I I salute you. I commend you, uh, Lewis Freeze. That's F R E E S E. Because someone spelled it wrong somewhere. Uh, yeah, Sammy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I say over the phone. Yes, yes. Rare disease advocate, uh, fashion model, the the fabulous disease, <laughs> IgA vasculitis. We'll put links in the description. If anyone listening is part of that community, please join. This has been just a fabulous conversation, and I want to thank you for coming on the show and. To wish you a happy 21st birthday
0: thank you yeah of course this has been amazing i love talking about the i love having the environment to talk about all of this stuff so thank you for having me i'm so excited to give it a listen when it's up and yeah anybody wants anything reach out on my instagram i love to talk to people in this community or people who are interested about this community
1: and you are lewis freeze one that's l-e-w-i-s f-r-e-e-s-e one Freeze one on Instagram yeah take care of yourself my friend good luck with everything
0: perfect thank you so much yeah great to talk to you that's all for today if you like the show be sure to subscribe leave a review follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen Nordpod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tunn is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by The Salvatones. Learn more about the music of The Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit NordPod.org.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader. Like that car riding your tail.